and good morning. A scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Genesis. It's part of the story of Jacob. There are uh, two stories. The first one is in Genesis 25, a few verses, and then a few verses in 27. Not the whole chapters, just uh, a few verses in those two chapters. So I will read them, and you can follow along on your tablet, on a phone. The verses will be up there, or just listen along. And I invite you to join with me by standing either in your heart or physically before God as we hear these words from the book that we love. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. And Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Chapter 27, verse 5. Now Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt a game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I, I might give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat, so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. God's very word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Every night they pitch their tents. Every night they cook their supper. They slept on the ground. Every morning they took their tents down, packed them up and their few belongings, and went on. Long treks, lots of dust, a journey for months, and not knowing when to stop. Now, he might have had a house in the land of Ur. History tells us Ur was a very prosperous region. And in the land of Ur, they worshipped many gods, the sun god, the moon god, the rain god. But somehow the one true god came to one of his citizens named Abram to walk with him and to talk with him. He came to Abram for no good reason other than he just chose to bless him and to use him. So Abram decided to trust God and to obey and to follow him day after day and for that first while to pitch the tent in the evening, 
to cook, to sleep on the ground, in the morning to put the tent back up again and gather their belongings, and to go on until the Lord would tell him to stop. God was very active back in those days to fulfill the promise that he was giving to Abram, to make sure that that promise would be fulfilled. God is still very active today. Sometimes one of the false pictures that we have of God, that he is simply up there in heaven, sitting on his throne, paying no attention to what's going on here on earth. Quite the opposite. God is very active. God is very involved. God is fulfilling his promises here in the world and in your life. And he is active about doing that. Now, God doesn't often act the way we want him to act. He doesn't do the things that we feel that he should be doing. He is not some sort of heavenly butler taking our order. But he's faithful and he is consistent and he is active and he is at work fulfilling the promises that he has given. We get the opportunity for these next few weeks to look at part of the story of Jacob. One of the things that's often done when looking at Old Testament characters is simply to look at these characters as moral examples of what to do and what not to do. I, I think that the Bible teaches us a, a different way to look at it. To take the story of these characters and place it in the big story of God. What is it that God is longing to do in the world? And then how do these characters play a role in that? And how does God fulfill his promise, not just to the characters, but to humanity and how he uses them as frail and broken as they are? So as we look at these two stories rather quickly in the life of Jacob, I want just to take a longer time to review once again the great big story of God and then look at Jacob's place and role in there, not to use him as a moral example of just what to do or what not to do, although we could do that. The great big story of God. God created humanity perfect and in his image. Humankind was told to care for the earth and to have this intimate relationship with God. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to sin and rebel against God. And sin took hold of them and within the world. The result is that the world began to spin out of control and into violence as sin and not blessing took over. So it brought to God the question, what was he going to do about humanity? In fact, did God want to do anything to try to restore humanity? And the answer quickly was yes, for God loves humanity, even in our brokenness. So God focused on one man. His name was Abram making a whole new plan. God's 
decision was to bless him and his family, his family line, and through them bring blessing and healing and redemption to the world through this one family. We read in Genesis 12, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12. This is a promise to bless the world through him, which later prophets and poets would say that the ultimate fulfillment of this promise would be through a messianic king who would rule the world to bring his shalom, his peace, and his justice to the nations. This messianic king, to bring this blessing, would be through Abram's line. We know this king as Jesus. The story continues. Abram, with his wife, Sarah, have a son named Isaac. And Isaac is the father of Jacob. Jacob now is the recipient of this promise given to his grandfather, Abraham. Jacob was born a twin. His older brother, Esau, was hairy, probably larger. It says of Jacob, he liked to be close to home. Jacob was born grabbing the heel of his elder brother, Jacob, hence giving a bit of a description to the life that Jacob would lead. His name literally means deceiver and he brought deception into an art form. At their birth, God told Isaac and Rebekah that he was going to pass the blessing on to the secondborn, to Jacob, not to the firstborn, to Esau. God chose Jacob over Esau to remind us that the blessing of God is not earned. It's a gift. It's grace. It's mercy. Jacob would go on to have 12 sons. And through these 12 sons, the covenant family of Israel would grow. The promise given to Abram would be lived out in this people of Israel through the 12 sons of Jacob. But there would be one son, Judah, the fourth son, who was given the promise that this messianic king would come through him and not through any of his 11 brothers. And so the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, we know as Jesus, the very Son of God, who would leave the glory of heaven to be born into this family line. And through him, God would bring salvation to the world, the forgiveness of sins, freedom from slavery. He suffered for us. He didn't deserve it, 
he bore it for us. He was sinless, and then he would be led to the cross, which he voluntarily went to and died for us. And then be raised on the third day so God's blessing could go to all groups of people, all clans of people, not just to Abram's line anymore, but to anyone and everyone who had come to him. God's richest promise to bless the nations of the world would be seen through the coming of Jesus. Jacob has a part in that great, wonderful plan of God. Part of the two stories that tell the trajectory of Jacob and how God would work maybe through him, but also in spite of him at the same time, are found in the two stories that we read. And it makes people scratch their head and wonder. God's plan is to save the world through this family? This group of people? Yes, it is. The two stories. Esau is an outdoorsman, while Jacob was content to stay in the tents. Jacob's home, cooking the stew. When Esau returns home and is famished, he says he's dying of hunger. We know he isn't. He's just famished. I mean, what, what brash young man hasn't said, I'm dying of hunger? Esau smells the stew, demands it, but Jacob seizes the opportunity to give him the stew in exchange for the birthright. Esau agrees, gives up the birthright of the firstborn for a porridge of stew. Birthright stood for two things. One, materially, and meant that they got a double share of the inheritance. In this case, Esau's possessions would be divided into thirds. Esau would get two-thirds, Jacob won. But more importantly, there is a spiritual aspect to the birthright. Spiritual blessings that come. And that's what Esau sold. Rejecting any spiritual blessing that would come to him. He ate and drank, and then it says, and so Esau despised his birthright. It would be easy to stop at this point and just start to draw some moralistic conclusions about Esau and Jacob, but we're not going to do that. We're going to continue on to the other story and try to link them together and look at a more bigger picture. Later, Father Isaac is getting very old and he wants to pass the family blessing on to his oldest son, to Esau. It says in Genesis 25 that Isaac had a preference for Esau and Rebekah had a preference for Jacob. And God clearly told Isaac and Rebekah that he would pass the blessing on through the second 
son, not the first. But the story goes that Isaac wants to make sure that Esau has the blessing to secure it for him. So he asked Esau to go and to uh, catch the wild game, to prepare a great meal that Isaac could enjoy. And once he had the meal, uh, he would give his blessing to Esau. Esau leaves. Rebekah overhears the plan. She goes to Jacob, who is out in the field, and with her help, prepares a meal, dresses Jacob up like Esau, and they together deceive Isaac. Jacob enters the tent, gives the meal. He's wrapped up in fur to act as if he is though Esau, because Isaac can't see, he feels the arms, eats the meal, and then we read in Genesis 27, starting at verse 28. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. The blessing. Jacob leaves, Esau enters, and Isaac realizes he has been deceived, and he has no blessing left to give to Esau. The two brothers become enemies, so much so that Jacob runs for his life. And because of that, he would never see his mother again. What are we to make out of these stories? How do these stories fit into the great big plan of God? How is he going to fulfill his plan? And does God need deception in order to do that? These are some of the questions that are raised in the story of Jacob. Let's attempt to answer them. First of all, God is greater than any deception mankind can make, any evil and any sin. God does his work through imperfect people for which we can be thankful for. Amen? Amen. Because he does his work through us as well. People who are known for making great, big, hairy, bad decisions. God is greater, and he is even able to turn goodness out of these bad decisions. God is even able to fulfill his plan and move his promises forward through this family, as imperfect as they are. Each one of us started out like this family, this family that God chose that doesn't give a free get-out-of-jail-free card to simply go and do what you please because God's going to work it out anyways. No, God is greater than all of our sin. 
And in this story, we are reminded of that. I think secondly, uh, no one can trick God. So much trickery is going on in this story because so much trickery has gone on within this family. Isaac wanting to quickly give Esau a blessing. Now, the commentators that I read seem to all agree that Isaac is trying to do an end around on God. Quickly give him the promise before the younger one shows up. Well, Jacob joins with Rebekah, who hatches this scheme to try to outmaneuver Isaac. And Jacob takes the opportunity. Some think, how could God fulfill his promise any other way than this trickery to be done for Isaac to give or for Jacob to come in and steal the blessing? How else is God going to interfere with what Isaac has planned? Well, we don't know because they were never given the opportunity. But we know from Abram's story and offering up Isaac and following God's command that God did intervene. God has his ways of setting the story right. And if we ever think that God needs our help through any kind of deception or dishonesty, we are headed down a path that leads to sorrow and pain. And I think that leads me to the third point, and that is God longs for our best. I'm reflecting on the story of this family. Isaac was a miracle baby. His parents, Abraham and Sarah, were too advanced in childbearing years. God came to give to them a promise. The promise was Isaac, a miracle baby. And you would think that Abraham and Sarah would, would, would just revel in the joy of this. And yet, their life was one of deceiving others and hurting others. It says that Isaac prayed for his wife after 20 years of not bearing any children. And she conceived and had twins. Another joy. Another gift. They would, you would think they would just want to bask in this unconditional gift of grace, as we should bask in God's unconditional gift of grace. And yet, these families had so much pain and so much anger and so much deceit that they miss out on all of the goodness that God longs for them to have. We can't go our own way and expect God's blessings in full force to be upon us. Our bad choices do have consequences. God's rescuing Abram, God's rescuing Isaac, God's rescuing Jacob from their poor choices. It didn't mean that they were exempt from the consequences that their bad choices would bring. 
but God's will would not be thwarted. He would still work out his plan in spite of their bad choices, but they would miss out on so many blessings. When we decide that we're going to follow God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he says, I have blessings that I want to pour into your life. Blessings of love, blessings of joy, blessings of care, blessings of comfort. These joys will come. It does not mean life's circumstances will be easy. They won't. Life will be very painful. Life will have its pits. Circumstances will try to get us down. God does not promise that he will give an easy life or a life that has an absence of any pain. He doesn't promise that. What he promises is the outpouring of love, joy, grace, and kindness. And when life is extremely hard and difficult, he promises his peace and his presence and his care. God longs for our best. And he says to experience his best is a life of following him. Lastly, God is faithful. God promised to Abraham and his family line to bless the nations of the world through them. The poets and prophets said this would come through the promised Messiah who would bring peace and justice to the world. His name is Jesus. He offers to forgive our sins, to forgive our bad choices. The blood of Jesus washes us clean of guilt. And he will not hold our faults against us. And he will even give to us the power to bring reconciliation with those who have hurt us. Sometimes that would seem inconceivable to us. How could he give to me the power to find and to bring reconciliation? And yet he does. Later on in this story, Jacob and Esau come together and embrace. Something that would seem inconceivable some 20 years earlier. And he promises to give that to us as well. There's an underlying story going on in Genesis that could go unrecognized. I haven't talked about it yet. In the next couple of weeks, I'll talk about it more. It's this. God has promised to bring his peace and justice to the world, forgiveness and grace to the world through the promised Messiah whose name is Jesus. That promise began in Genesis chapter 3 and the confrontation between Father God and the serpent. And the promise that's given to the serpent is that this Messiah King will crush your head. 
Now, if someone says that they're going to come and crush your head, you have three options. You can run. You can roll over and just let them crush your head. Or thirdly, you can try to be the crusher before you become the crushee. And that is what the serpent decides to do. If he can cut off this family line, if he can stop this family line, what does he stop? The promised Messiah King. He is at work. We, we understand his work maybe more so in the Gospels when he confronts Jesus, you know, directly and in a variety of ways. But he is at work here in Genesis to cut off that promise. And if he can cut off that promise, he might save his head. It's not up to the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that they're the ones who are going to be doing the fighting. God's the one doing the fighting. And he, through them, will be faithful to his promise. A promise that's given to each one of us here. Jacob has a part to play, an imperfect part to play, in God's great, big, hairy plan. God has given to us parts to play as well. And he promises to give to us the strength and the grace and the love to play those parts out well. To bring glory to him, goodness to our neighbors, and to be used by him to strengthen his church and to be used in his kingdom to advance the cause and the blessing and the care of the Father's plan for us. I invite you to join with me in prayer. Father God, how we bless you and thank you for your love and for your power. We thank you for your love that reached down to us and chose us, brought the good news of life in Jesus to us, and came to us that we would receive you into our lives. Thank you for that love. We thank you for your power, your power that is now limited and thrown off by the deceptions and the sins of humanity. That your plan is greater, that your power is stronger. We bless you for your power that the wiles of the evil one cannot stop you. Thank you that we see the fulfillment of your plan and your son Jesus who came and died in our place and for our sin. We thank you for the new life that you have given to him in raising him from the dead and through faith you have given to us new life as well. Thank you that we can rely on your promises Help us, Father God, to encourage each other in these promises when we feel weak or we feel tired or we feel discouraged. Help us to encourage each other 
by reminding us about your promises and the way that you work them out. We thank you for the promise that you hear our prayers, that our prayers don't go unrecognized. We thank you for the promise that you bring healing. You don't bring healing all the time to everyone, but we know that when we pray for your healing, it seems that more healing is done. We thank you for the healing that you have brought to Calvin, that he is off the ventilator, and we recognize that this is your work in this little life. We pray that you'll continue to bring the healing that he needs. Give the doctors wisdom and how to best go about fixing that hole in his heart. We pray that you will give to him comfort and even as a seven-month-old that he would be able to experience your presence and your love. We pray that you will be with Kaylin and Shauna, that you will give to them strength, you will give to them encouragement as they spend time in the hospital, spend time with their other son, Declan, and spend time at work. Help them as they juggle these responsibilities and give to them, Lord, a, a breakthrough of grace and love and comfort. We pray for your healing to be upon Pastor Mary as she recovers from surgery, as she uh, waits the results of the biopsy. We pray that you will give to her and Bruce and their family your grace and your strength. Uh, give to them a measure of your presence to give to them your peace. We pray also for Gail as she recovers from her surgery of removing the melanoma. We pray that you will be with the discomfort that she has. We pray that you help that discomfort to be removed and that you would give to her, Lord, your, your continued peace and care. We join with Sue in praying for uh, her granddaughter, Danielle, and their family and their desire to move to be closer to family but also just for their family that needs an injection of your love and injection of your grace we pray lord that you will bring blessing and care to them all we pray lord that you will be with our families that you will bring reconciliation Sometimes it might seem like that is an impossible ask, and yet we ask, and we know that through the grace of Jesus, your Son, that these things are possible. We pray that families would be places of love and grace and goodness. We pray, Lord, for families that uh, seem to be broken, and we long for you to be at work to bring uh, your fixing hand there. We pray for our world, a world at war, it seems like. War that's going on in Ukraine, war that's going on in Israel and Gaza. 
We do pray, Lord, that you will bring safety and security to nations, to people, that you will also protect uh, innocents who are in war zones. We know that there's war going on in more places than in these countries. So we, we pray for peace. We pray, Lord, that you will bring protection from the, to the innocents. We pray that the Prince of Peace will be at work to be with individuals, to be with families, to be with nations. We pray, Lord, that your Son, the Prince of Peace, will be at work to bring peace in this world. We pray that you will continue to use your church, your people, to bring hope, to bring healing, and to bring news of the love of your Son. We pray for our missionary partner, Reach Beyond. We pray that you'll be with the Koistras in their ministry to bring the good news of Jesus to the airwaves, to the media around the world. And we pray that you will strengthen them in their work. We pray, Lord, that you will bless our neighbors. And this day and this week, we pray especially for our neighbors on Jewel Brook, that uh, you would bring an extra blessing to them and that they would know that blessing comes from you. Father, there are other prayers that we have in our hearts. We lift them to you. How thankful we are that you hear them and that your heart breaks when we have our heart broken because of the things in life. And we just continue to invite you to come in. To bring your power and to bring your grace and to bring your love. And so we lift our situations to you. Thank you for hearing the prayers that we have shared and the prayers that we echo from our heart. And as best as we know how, we offer ourselves to you. Thank you for hearing us for loving us, for working in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.